Welcome to episode 13 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Today's guest is a community organizer at heart. Within a few years of graduating from Brandeis University, he has established himself as a major player in Boston's social impact community. His career began as an associate at Mass Challenge, where he learned the importance of community building. He later joined Opportunity Nation as a national organizer around economic mobility issues and then Yesware as a customer success manager. Currently, he is the executive director of City Awake, a nonprofit organization focused on building the ecosystem of civic engagement and social innovation throughout Greater Boston. Established in 2014, City Awake hosts an annual 10 day festival with nearly 100 community events and supported by over 200 organizational partners. My guest has been recognized by the Boston Globe, Boston Magazine, and the City of Boston for his work highlighting the city as a social impact hub. He is also on the Massachusetts Board of Generation Citizen, an active big brother, and was, was a 2013 New Leaders Council Fellow. Please join me in welcoming Justin Kang. Thanks, Robbie. It's a pleasure to ha- uh, be with you today. Excellent, Justin. I I'm, I'm really appreciate you speaking with me from your office in Boston. So I want to just jump right in. I know my audience will be curious to hear a little bit more about you and your day-to-day, but this is a podcast about leadership and building great networks. So, so tell me, what does leadership mean to you, and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? That's a great question, Robbie, and something that I think about every day, especially as I work with our team and our partners to see how I can be the best leader possible. Uh, ultimately, I think leadership is an awareness uh, around self-awareness, understanding uh, the skills that you have and that you can focus on, but as well to seeing the skills that other people have and how to empower them uh, to give their best. So for ultimately, um, you know, as an executive director, it's my responsibility to do as very little uh, as possible uh, as a way to empower others to uh, succeed in their own capacities, in their own swim lanes. Uh, we sort of subscribe to a theory of servant leadership uh, as a way to be an active listener. And then ultimately also, you know, for me as a leader, it's to coalesce people in a successful way, to inspire, motivate them under a shared vision, and make sure that they as a team don't forget uh, what we're trying to achieve. Because oftentimes, especially in the nonprofit social sector world, uh, we get so bogged down with the details that we forget about the actual mission or vision that we're trying to achieve. Right. So you're talking about being both a service leader and also helping the people who work with you really be mission driven and really able to tap into that, the mission of the work that you're doing. So it's not just the day to day, but there's a, a big um, goal at the end of all of this. Absolutely. And I, I see that a lot with uh, friends who are teachers and social workers, et cetera, and they're doing great, passionate, meaningful work. Uh, one person at a time, uh, but sometimes you know because they get so ingrained that uh, you know it might get m- mundane, perhaps. Uh, and I think it's for up to uh, the people they they look up to to make sure to remind them 
sort of the bigger goal of how mm-hmm. their part fits into a bigger picture. So when did you realize, Justin, that you had the skills to lead? You know, it's something that I, I think through every day, and I think um, it starts really in high school. I think leadership, uh, the foundation is around your own self-confidence and own self-awareness. And for me, it was a class in uh, my sophomore year in high school uh, where I had two extraordinary teachers, uh, uh, my history teacher, my English teacher. And they just, for whatever reason, before that, I was uh, much more passive. Uh, I was much more, I was quiet in class. Um, and they sort of brought out the potential in me where they uh, put me in situations that put, that made me uncomfortable. Uh, specifically, I was terrible at public speaking. Or it wasn't that I was even terrible. It was that I was just I would become very nervous that I would even visibly shake when I would be in front of a crowd. Um, and those situations, you know, allowed me to get more comfortable in who I was and not be worried about being judged um, and put me in a situation where now I think I'm a pretty effective public speaker. I would say so. I mean, it's kind of amazing thinking back to the times that I've seen you in front of a room um, kind of speaking off the cuff and sharing a story about City Awake and the coalition that you're building. And I, I can't imagine you being that that nervous person who, who was uh, literally shaking. So I'm glad they pushed you. It sounds like it's uh, important to recognize that early in our life, we do have those that have, um, I guess, expanded our worldview and pushed us to take on uh, leadership or, or find some talent within us that we didn't know we had. Absolutely. So it's, it also sounds you're very excited about the work you're doing today. And um, I'm wondering what is most rewarding about what you're doing today with City Awake? You know, I think the the rewarding part, especially, is you know working with our partners. I think a lot of times, and to recognize their work. So I think uh, the most rewarding, exciting thing that we're doing is um, trying to mature the sector. Uh, oftentimes, uh, when people are in the nonprofit space or working on a social enterprise, uh, people diminish this work by saying, you know, if you ask them, oh, you work at a nonprofit, and they say, that's that's cute, that's nice, uh, but they don't have it considered uh, on the same stature of other sectors. Uh, so the work that we're very proud about is that we're starting to move the conversation to have people consider that the social sector is a mature sector, that it's incredibly important, and that we need to start investing in uh, capacity building projects, professional development projects, uh, to really ensure that people are prepared to give their most uh, most uh, contribution to the community. You know, I, I've seen a lot of the work you have done and, and I saw recently what you have planned in the next year or so and it's very impressive. But there's a correlation that I see that you made about sort of how um, tech came to Boston. Can you just share a little bit about how you thought, how did you, how did you see that and then veer into thinking, hmm, I think that this is something that we can use the same model for the social impact sector. Absolutely. You know, for me, my first job out of college was at Mass Challenge in 2009. And if you ask anybody uh, about the technology sector in Massachusetts, greater Boston, before 2009, they would describe it as top-down, exclusive, inaccessible, very centralized to Kendall Square and MIT. Uh, six years later, though, if you ask anybody that same question to describe the sector, Uh, It would be a 180, a complete opposite where the sector is much more open, welcoming, accessible, uh, distributed across the city. And of course, there's things that could be better, but it's an incredible feat to see the anecdotal change in six years. 
Now, what had happened was in 2009, there was a series of activities, including Mass Challenge being started, Techstars expanding here, the Innovation District, and you know uh, all these different programs started to uh, exist in this ecosystem to de-silo the sector. Now, the same can be said, I think, very similarly to the social sector. I think we have uh, similar issues where we have these individual pockets that are extraordinary. This is where national service started. This is where venture philanthropy was started. We have some of the most civically engaged corporations. But what we find is that we're speaking all the different different languages. We all live in our different buckets. Uh, we live in our different silos. So we think if we can replicate the success of how the technology sector in Massachusetts and other places across the world, if we can build this holistic, cohesive, mm. inclusive ecosystem, uh, we think we'll all be better off. And we think that it can actually drive the needle in solving some of the most pressing social issues in greater Boston. I mean, I think the the piece there that I, I sort of really want to tease out is that you were experiencing this um, fresh out of college, you're at Mass Challenge, right at the beginning of all of that change. You were seeing and witnessing uh, those shifts and the anecdotal evidence was evident to you and you were able to see, hmm, we could apply this in another way to another field. Um, I just think that's that's part of leadership is being able to see the adjacent possible mm. and um, yeah. being able to, uh, I was recently introduced to the concept of veer, um, but to see kind of what was and then how do you, how do you shift it to yet another angle. Mm. Um, yeah. Alan Weiss uh, spoke about that. So... Tell me a little bit about the times that you've struggled doing the work that you have. Like, what what are some challenges that you've come across, and well, how did you overcome them? That's uh, I think, uh, especially with City Awake, uh, it's only been recent where I transitioned into a full time role. Uh, so one of the initial challenges uh, was obviously um, committing a lot of time to City Awake uh, as a side project. Uh, while working full-time at a technology startup. So that that was an initial challenge. Uh, as a leader, though, I think the biggest challenge has been, um, especially since at City Week we do a lot, of, a lot of different programming, a lot of different events, and we have a volunteer team of over 50 people at any given time. Uh, it's as me as a leader to delegate successfully. Now, I, mm. you know, it's a fine line of, you know, being a micromanager and providing no direction. And at times I struggle with, uh, you know, I normally default to delegating people because I trust my team. But at the same time, I realize uh, sometimes that I don't provide enough direction. And I think as a leader, it's an important part to, again, provide that vision, uh, make sure that they understand the bigger picture instead of giving a very specific task. Uh, So the biggest struggle, I think, uh, for me personally, has been understanding how to delegate successfully, that it's not just saying, hey, do this and run with it, but to say, you know, hey, do this, run with this, here's some, you know, helpful helpful tips, here's some parameters, or here's some, here's why it's important. And that's something that I've been actively working on doing better, especially with our team of volunteers. Yeah, I was going to say, Justin, so much of um, the work you're doing is supported by volunteers. And having been a volunteer for many things in my life, I know that that's a a difficult role and difficult balance mm-hmm. to get the, the work done while you're you know doing everything else that you have in your life um, and committing to this project and getting the sort of support and guidance you need. I think it's wonderful that you're able to now do this a full-time role so you really can embrace the uh, volunteer spirit that's supporting this. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you mentioned this a little bit, just the idea of, of how to delegate, but is there, as you're striving for success and, you know, we always have a fear that we're going to fail or not quite succeed in the way we'd like, is there something else that you're not good at that you've sort of found a workaround to deal with it? Gosh, there's like, yeah, there's a lot of things I'm not good at. Um, <laughs> there, there's, I think one of the things that I, at least I try my best to be self-aware. So, you know, for me, oftentimes I don't want to get into the small details of things. So, and it's a classic example of uh, having an executive director who, uh, you know, trying to lead the vision. Um, you know, so I think ultimately everything that I'm not good at um, is that, you know, it's my responsibility to build a world-class team. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have people like Katie Schultz, um, who I just lean on for everything, essentially. Uh, teams of volunteers that I just complement my skills with. Uh, a board of directors and a board of advisors that just lend their expertise. Uh, so there's everything that I, you know, uh, that that I struggle with. There's many things, um, but I just always try to surround myself with good people. And that's, that's sort great. of... Uh, a mantra that I just lead with every day. You know, you mentioned the idea of being self-aware and you aren't able to have the right team surrounding and supporting you if you're not aware of what you need. So, you know, if you have those blind spots, then you Mm -hmm. also continue to hire people who maybe are too similar to you or um, who don't have a complementary skill set. So I think it is key what you said about wanting to first be aware of what that is and then yeah build that's actually team. a good point that reminds me of a time where uh this company i used to work for we had a staff retreat and we did one of those exercises where we you know uh map out uh define our personality as one of those personality tests mm-hmm. and it was very interesting because i think like 80 percent of the people on the staff had the exact sort of personality traits as the ceo uh, so i think you make a valid point where oftentimes we hire people who are like us uh, but that could be also a, a very dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the benefit of, of the added skill sets. Yeah. Yep. So um, to be recognized at, this, at the work that you're doing as a success, um, it, it takes tremendous amounts of time and dedication, as you said. I mean, you were doing the full-time work while building this on the side. It's going to obviously be a lot of time at the office, but there's also sort of a way it creeps into the outside the office time. With that in mind, well, what does self-care look like for you? <laughs> uh, self-care is an ongoing thing. Um, it's, uh, so I do, I do, I think it's, I do s- certain regular things such as on Sundays, um, I don't do anything. Sunday, I'm the laziest person in the world intentionally. Um, oftentimes, I'm just in my PJs just watching, binging on Netflix um, and don't even check my email. And uh, for me, interestingly enough, uh, I classify myself as an introvert where I need to regain my energy by alone time. Uh, now, I love talking to people, love learning, hearing about people's passions, going out, etc. cetera. Uh, but at least one thing I do intentionally is making sure that uh, every Sunday I plan nothing and I just, I just recharge. Um, so that's my, the one thing I do intentionally. Have you been doing that for a long time? Uh, yeah, actually, yeah, at least for a couple of years, yeah. Nice. I mean, I've interviewed quite a few leaders who talk about things they wish they did more often, but it sounds like you have a solid plan to at least get that one day a week where you can reclaim it for yourself and recharge. Yeah. And I think you're right. Introverts, you know, your energy is, is, is sort of stored up when you're on your own in that way, and you probably expend it at a great 
uh, rate since you're always around people as part of your job. So yeah, yeah, you need to find that balance. Um, you know, in the last five years, you, so much has changed for you. I mean, you're fairly new out of school and yet you've accomplished so much and really built this amazing professional network. So I'm wondering what are the ways that network has grown over that time or changed? And in particular, what are the ways that you've nurtured those relationships? That's a great question. Um, the, the, way, the one way I nurtured those networks is, um, and people, people often ask about that to me about, you know, how do you get to meet XYZ? Um, and the truth part of it is, I think um, I took this philosophy of just, you know, the best way to network is just to make friends. Um, and I really took that to heart uh, beginning, you know, a few years ago, uh, understanding that, you know, it's uh, that every part, every best relationship, every person that goes to bat for me are people that that I have a good social standing with, that there isn't sort of like this transactional value. Right. Uh, so that's one thing, you know, I do that I just don't overthink a relationship and, you know, not try to eyeball someone and seeing what their value is to me specifically at that time. Uh, because what I realize is the best connections are oftentimes just very serendipitous that you wouldn't even expect it, that I've been introduced to people that I've admired from my college days, people who, who, who are my future or my current donors, all just sort of happen serendipitously. So I think, and it's sort of Adam Grant's theory, uh, the UPenn professor, just to uh, if you give, and obviously you want, you don't want to be taken advantage of, but if you give and help out people, help someone move, um, you know, volunteer at their event, um, it all works out in the end. At least it has, you know, uh, you know, very fortunately for me. Yeah, I share. I, I haven't read uh, his work in particular, but I think we share a similar philosophy. Is there something you've done to sort of maintain those relationships? Though I'm thinking in particular that, like me, you probably meet a lot of really interesting people on a regular basis. Um, some of them you get to work with, so then you get to develop a connection and a friendship and relationship over time. But is there something you're doing to stay in touch with people you used to work with or that you sort of only meet casually and you you want to you want to find a way to stay connected? Do you have any methods or or is it just sort of really ad hoc? And I'll be honest with you, I think I could do a better job at, you know, maintaining contact with people and especially for me as this, you know, quote unquote social entrepreneur. Uh, and I imagine yourself as you're starting your own business as well, and uh, you get so it's just hard sometimes where you off you you miss you don't hang out with people that you want to keep connecting with on a regular basis. Uh, a couple instances though, people that I really admire that I do want to keep a relationship with because I just really respect them. I have standing meetings with some of my mentors. Uh, so you know, for example, one of my mentors uh, is an extraordinarily busy guy with his own family, etc. But uh, we built a relationship where we have a standing uh, uh, time in the month where we just grab drinks. Um, so in those types of relationships, and I, I wish I did it more, is that we create sort of an expectation of, of regular contact. Yeah, so share a little bit about how you came to have mentors. Because I think a lot of people say they, that that's a good idea, but they don't know how to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I haven't had a mentor since those high school teachers in, uh, in that I, met, I referred to earlier. So... You know, it's something that I think a lot of people struggle with. It's very hard uh, in companies to find mentors or even outside your company. Uh, so for myself is that, you know, and I think I have now a bunch of mentors, especially because of City Awake. And um, it's, 
I just go to them in a vulnerable way and just ask a lot of questions and really look at them as a way to um, to learn. Uh, but also, you know, for me, it, we've done it in, in a way. I think my the best mentors are very social as well. Uh, so instead of you know this one mentor in particular where we grab drinks, you know, we could have done like you know during the day or something in the office building, etc. Uh, but now, in addition to him being a mentor, I consider him a friend as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's sort of also where, you know, he has become much more involved and invested in what I do. Um, there's other tactics where you can create sort of like an advisory board. So mm-hmm. you, you create that expectation of ongoing relationships. So there's other people that I consider as advisors who are part of my advisory board or board of directors. And I just continue to engage them in that way as well. Yeah, one of the things I've been coaching people on is the idea of building your own personal board of directors right. or your own personal advisory board and just start by even just thinking like well, who what kind of people, what kind of skills would you want to have presented? And then as you meet people that and you're thinking, "Wow, I really admire this person. I think they're really good at this." Oh, and then you start to seek out them out. And I love the piece about, you know, going to them with some vulnerability and with questions. I think a lot of times the mentor-mentee programs that are set up don't actually work because the mentee doesn't have a, a, a plan for how to use that time, exactly. doesn't yeah. do the research, doesn't come with questions. So, you know, you have to really kind of put yourself out there in a, in a I guess, in a pretty vulnerable way. Um, but it sounds like it's working really well for you and you're now getting a lot of support and it's you're not having to make mistakes that maybe others have made. You're you're striving forward in a really big way. So, you know, if you had advice for yourself, um, you know, five years ago, even earlier, is there something you would have done in particular to make sure that this this strong professional network happened? I mean, it sounds like you you ended up in a great place, but but is there something that you would have told yourself? to do differently or to make sure that you did in order to, to come to this point? I think, you know, if I was talking to myself in college, you know, I think I would tell myself two things. One is that um, don't think about the short term in that I think oftentimes people look at relationships or look at an individual and see um, them, you know, how will I interact with this person a week from now or a month from now? Um, what I realize more and more every day is that these people, okay, you might not see them for five years, but they might pop up back in your life, uh, you know, six years later. And it's unbelievable to see how many people that I met, you know, three years ago at a networking event, and then now I work with them very closely. And -hmm. I think that's just a regular pattern of understanding that um, this is not, this like, this these relationships uh, can pop up back up again. So just to make sure to treat people well and with respect and in a very consistent way. Um, and then the second thing I would tell myself five, six years ago would be about uh, not to try to rush success. Uh, I think there's a lot of pressure, um, you know, anxiety for people. Because in college, I started actually four nonprofits, um, all relatively did pretty well. Um, and but there's just this culture of immediate success mm-hmm. um, of, fi- of figuring it out immediately. And the truth is, I don't know anyone at my age or even older than me that really gets it. Even like they always, everyone's always trying to figure it out. So I think um, <laughs> to slow down, um, it's okay if you're not going to make you know the thirty under thirty list, et cetera. Just like 
you know, take a step back and you have hopefully lived till you're 80, you have much more, uh, you know, you don't need to accomplish everything by the time you're 30. Yeah, no, that's great. You know, I, I really appreciated the piece, particularly you say it about, you know, staying in good, good relationships with the people that you don't have an immediate need for in your life. You're not like, oh, well, we're not working together right now. I don't need anything. This is a wrong mindset. It's yeah. more about, you know, just keeping the lines of communication open. Um, the best people are where you can sort of show up every now and again and support each other, um, hear out how they're doing in life and how you're doing and mm-hmm. and then say, oh, wow, we actually, there's something we're, we're both interested in. Let's talk about that. Um, so it sounds like you've you've done well for yourself, but it is true that if we could just start some of that earlier <laughs> with more purpose and consciousness, yeah. um, there is some strategy to that and to having a, a, a sort of long view of building those relationships. So, you know, this last question really is just about, um, you know, if, if we were to be meeting a year from now and we were talking about all the amazing accomplishments of this year and all that all that you've achieved, basically, what accomplishments would we be celebrating? A year from now. Sorry, Robbie, just to clarify. Yeah, a year from now. Gosh, that's, hmm. I have a board meeting next week, and that's the question I probably have to answer for them as well. Um, (laughs) So I think ultimately what I would be most proud of is if I can uh, successfully, City Wake has been uh, a great um, volunteer project for the last year and a half and I'm very proud of it and we've done a lot of great things. Um, now I think the biggest challenge is to change this project into a full-time organization uh, with very focused programs and a very clear theory of change. So I think a year from now uh, what I would be most successful and happy about is we can uh, turn a lot of the events that we do and transition them into actual programs mm-hmm. uh, to uh, also to uh, very clearly articulate the brand City Awake and really help find our identity. You know, it's completely okay that we're still figuring it out just because we're so young and we'll continue. That's going to always be an iterative process. Uh, but I think if we can start nailing down our car co- core competencies and getting more clarity around that, that's something that uh, I'm looking to do by next year. That's great. I mean, you're building on the success you've already had. You're creating an even stronger foundation. You're formalizing programs from the events that you've had success with. Um, I'm really excited. I mean, as you know, I've been watching um, with both a lot of interest and a little jealousy even because Socializing for Justice was my pet project. It's nine years now that I've been running that um, community organization, which is completely grassroots, no, no paid staff. And you know, I had to pull back a lot as I thought about where I wanted to send my career and mm-hmm. we found a nice balance of what it will be, but mm-hmm. I love what you're doing and I really, really admire the tenacity you've had to keep something going for so long and involve so many great people. I can see how passionate they are when I meet with them. So I want to wish you the best and, and I'm going to share in the show notes uh, links to City Awake and to your LinkedIn account. Um, and anything else that we mentioned. And I just want to say again, congratulations. And I am looking forward to having that conversation a year from now to say, wow, that was a great year. I'm glad that mm-hmm. I was there at the beginning to, to talk about it with you. So thanks, Justin. Thank you, Robbie. Had a, thank you so much for the, the conversation. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Justin Kang. Such a pleasure to speak with him and learn about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? 
something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. One thing that stood out for me was his intention to unplug one day a week. Can you imagine taking an entire day off each week? One way to get into this habit is to start with one morning on the weekend. Take a break from your email, from your to-do list, and instead have a luxurious couple of hours, a delicious sit-down breakfast, walk to the neighborhood park with your kids, or binge on Netflix, whatever helps you recharge for the week ahead. Another takeaway was the advice he would give his 25-year-old self. Networking is not about trying to get something. If you go into it with that mindset, you'll be missing the opportunity to build valuable relationships with people that keep popping back up in your life. Don't just consider what someone can do for you in the short term. Leave open the possibility that you'll find meaningful ways to reconnect over the years. As Justin said, make sure you treat people well and with respect and in a very consistent way. Now this is advice people of all ages can take to heart and learn from. Justin also spoke about the importance of having mentors. He said, go to them in a vulnerable way and ask lots of questions. If you have the opportunity to be mentored, take advantage of it. Be prepared with questions and a clear sense of what you're looking for out of this relationship. By default, mentors are going to be busy, successful people who have a lot to offer. How much you get out of the arrangement is based on the effort you put in. Find ways to make this a two-way relationship by making an effort to share their content, write a review of their books or podcasts, comment on their blog posts, and generally show an appreciation for their time. Find ways to engage with your mentor socially, even if that means having your regular meeting in a coffee shop or bar rather than their office. Doing so will help you expand the relationship beyond mentor-mentee over time. To help you keep track of the last time you reached out to your mentors, and others you admire in your field, you may want to invest in a CRM. This helps you keep track of who you've been in touch with recently and which contacts are fading. I manage my most important relationships and the ones I hope will become significant using Contactually, a robust CRM perfect for managing my professional network. As an affiliate for Contactually, they are offering my listeners a free 30-day trial. Let me know if you sign up for the free trial and I'll help you get set up for success. Visit contactually.com slash invite slash schmooze for more details. That's contactually, C-O-N-T-A-C-T-U-A-L-L-Y dot com slash invite slash schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. For your convenience, I'll add the link to the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 13. Well, we've done it again. We've reached the end of another episode. Thanks for listening to On The Schmooze. I want to sincerely thank all of you who've already subscribed and left a rating and review on iTunes. I'm excited to share that this show has received 16 reviews since we launched 10 weeks ago. By subscribing and leaving a rating review on iTunes, you're helping this podcast get discovered by more listeners. Will you subscribe and leave an honest rating and review? Include your Twitter handle in your review so I can give you a shout out. It's easy to find our iTunes page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. That's schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be answering the question of whether business cards are necessary in a world filled with social media connections and smartphones. Until then, have an amazing week. 
Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.